Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 658 for the 1st of September, 2019. This week, anyone who owns a scanner, regardless of make, model, or type, should take a look at ViewScan because it is probably better than the software that came with your scanner. In short circuits, website owners often receive emails from China with warnings that someone is trying to register their website name. In short, it's a scam intended to separate your money from you. Another scam I hadn't seen before added an entry to my Google Calendar so that it could create pop-up messages telling me I had won an iPhone. In spare parts, only on the website, it looks like there's finally been some progress in getting phone companies to cooperate in a way that eventually will eliminate or at least reduce unwelcome robocalls. And it has been 20 years since Adobe introduced InDesign. Publishing has changed a lot since then, and InDesign now virtually owns the desktop typesetting and page layout market. The scanner that's sitting on your desk probably came with a scanning application. If you want to get the most out of your scanner, though, forget about it and buy a copy of ViewScan. That's a very short summary. So let me tell you a little more about my reasons for making that blanket statement. I don't recall whether it was Windows 95 or Windows 98 that rendered my Epson scanner unusable because Epson didn't develop drivers for the operating system. So I bought another scanner. Another Epson, actually. Apparently, it takes more than one iteration for me to learn a lesson. So then came Windows 8, and once again, Epson said no drivers would be forthcoming for that scanner. It was about that time that I began to wonder if scanner was really a synonym for scammer. But it was also about that time that I discovered ViewScan. Install ViewScan and you'll never have to worry about drivers again. And in fact, I'm still using that Epson scanner that was going to be made obsolete by Windows 8. Ed Hamrick, the developer of ViewScan, might not be a genius, but he sure looks like one to me. He has reverse-engineered more than six thousand scanners, so you don't need drivers from any manufacturer. I actually have three scanners. One that's part of a multifunction Canon MF216N printer, scanner, copier, fax machine, the Epson Perfection Photo 3200 that Epson no longer supports, and a PlusTech film scanner. The Epson's scanner software doesn't run under Windows 10. The PlusTech scanner came with Silverfast, which seems to be overly complicated and which requires a separate version for each scanner you own. The Canon scanner came with its own proprietary software, but sometimes it couldn't even see the scanner. ViewScan sees them all and can use them all. Hamrick's first product was ViewPrint, a JPEG viewer for Windows. The first version of ViewScan was released in 1998. The backstory's worth telling here. Hamrick purchased a film scanner, an HP PhotoSmart, in 1997, but he wasn't satisfied with the software that accompanied the device. Hamrick wanted better quality scans than the software that came with the scanner provided. ViewSmart was the result. Then Hamrick bought a Nikon LS30, 
modified ViewSmart to support multiple scanners and renamed it ViewScan. ViewScan can control more than 6,000 scanners, even if there are no drivers for the current operating system, and it's available for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. It doesn't come with any scanner, and it's not free, but it's priced reasonably. You can pay $40 or $100, and you'll often find $10 discounts. The versions are the same, except that the lower-priced version provides updates for just one year, doesn't support film scanners, and deactivates the program's advanced features. Choose the higher-priced option, and updates are included forever. Film scanning is included, and the advanced features are enabled. The professional version also offers optical character recognition. More about that in a little bit. I purchased the standard edition of ViewScan, but later upgraded to the professional edition by paying the difference in price between the two. And Hamrick has an uncommonly liberal policy for how ViewScan may be installed. I quote, You can use ViewScan on up to four different computers that you personally use, with any combination of operating systems, with any number of scanners, both X32 and X64, with a single license. So every week or two, I see a reminder about a new version that I can upgrade to without charge. ViewScan can help when you want to scan documents, photos, film, or slides on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. It supports scanners for more than 40 manufacturers, even, and this is the important part, and I keep saying it over and over, even when a driver from the manufacturer is not available. Whether you're having trouble getting your scanner connected to your computer, or you want to use the scanner software with the most features, ViewScan is the tool for you. So I said I had three scanners, and you might wonder, and reasonably so, why? Well, one of them was more or less a gift from Canon. When a brother printer died, I replaced it with a Canon multifunction device. It's a printer that also functions as a copier, a scanner, and a fax machine. Yeah, fa fax machine. Does any modern business still use a fax machine? I purchased the Epson Perfection 3200 photo scanner primarily to scan photos and artwork a long time ago. It's a flatbed scanner that can, with a fair amount of work, be converted to scan film negatives and positives. Because I had a lot of film negatives to scan, I bought the Plustech Optic film scanner. Although it can scan slides, I prefer to use a digital camera when I have slides to convert. The Canon multifunction device isn't as good a scanner as the Epson, but it's fine for a lot of work, and it also has a document feeder that's perfect for multi-page documents. So, without making a long story even longer, that's why. When ViewScan starts, it'll detect all attached scanners. Initially, you'll want to select the interface, basic, standard, or professional, and the scanner. The basic interface has just two tabs, but the standard and professional interfaces have six. If you want to be in charge of absolutely everything, select the professional interface, and you'll have access to so many settings that you may feel like you're running a nuclear reactor. The basic and standard interfaces make the process seem easy. Actually, they do more than just make the process seem easy. Because ViewScan makes correct guesses for most of the settings, the process really is easy. The screen tells you which scanner it's using and offers just a few settings. At the bottom of the screen, the entire instruction set is displayed. Press Preview. Adjust Crop Box. Press Scan. Three steps.
Well, I have to make things more complicated, so I generally select the professional interface. You'll see some screenshots on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. I started on the Input tab where I've selected the professional interface and specified that I'll be scanning to a file. I could also print directly, but if I wanted to do that, I'd just use the printer's copy function. There are also some tech-heavy options for creating a scanner, printer, or film profile. Those are for the true professionals among us, so I'll ignore them here. And I'll be using the flatbed instead of the document feeder. Near the bottom of the left column, I specified a directory where I want the file to be stored, and I've named the file test-01-plus-sign.pdf. By including a number and appending the plus sign, I have told ViewScan to incrementally number files if I scan more than one document. The resulting scan will be a PDF, which is set on the Output tab. ViewScan can create JPEGs, TIFFs, and PDFs individually or simultaneously. While on the Output tab, I've also selected the option to have ViewScan perform optical character recognition on the file. Those who have licensed Adobe's Creative Cloud applications and have access to Acrobat will find that it does a much better job with OCR. And more about OCR is coming up. After establishing the basic settings, it's time to click the Preview button. ViewScan will scan the page and display a preview image. The user then needs to use the mouse cursor to size and position the scan area, which is shown as a dotted rectangle. Once that's done, clicking Scan finishes the task and saves a file in the location you specified. Scanning film is different. A dedicated film scanner is the best option for scanning negatives, and possibly for scanning color slides, too. I found that using a macro lens and a device that holds the slide is the fastest and easiest option for transparencies, color slides. Some flatbed scanners can also be used for negatives or positives. To scan negatives, you need an application that can convert the scan from negative, where light is dark and dark is light for black and white pictures. Color negative film is more complicated because there's also an orange cast in addition to the light-dark reversal. ViewScan does a fine job of handling all of it. Immediately after the scan completes, the image displayed on the screen will have been converted from negative to positive, but the entire image will have a blue cast. That's the inverse of the orange cast on the film. ViewScan will then remove the orange cast so that the colors are correct, and it will eliminate some, but not all, of the dust specks. After scanning all your negatives and saving them as TIFFs, you can import them into Lightroom or any other photo editing application. ViewScan can also save the images in JPEG format, but that format is lossy and it limits the additional corrections that can be applied in a photo editing application. TIFF files are considerably larger than JPEGs, but storage is far less expensive than it once was, and TIFFs are far more versatile. Now, I keep hinting at OCR, and that's where there's one shortcoming. If optical character recognition is important to you, it's essential to understand the differences between ViewScan's OCR and that provided by Adobe Acrobat. Those who need to export, copy, or otherwise use the text from the scan will be disappointed by ViewScan's results. The example image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website shows the result of a ViewScan document that was run through Acrobat's OCR process and the same document that used ViewScan's native OCR. It's a page from a recent issue of Time magazine. 
After opening both a ViewScan OCR version and the Adobe Acrobat OCR version in Acrobat, I selected text by starting with the mouse cursor in the upper left corner and swiping down. The ViewScan OCR does not differentiate between text in the left column, the callout text in the center, and the text in the right column. It all gets jumbled together. The resulting file is adequate if the user simply needs to search for a word, but any attempt to copy text for use in another document will lead to frustration. Adobe Acrobat's OCR allows for selection of columnar text in the left column without including either the callout in the center or the text from the right column. But overall, that is a very minor shortcoming. The ViewScan interface is Spartan, so the application has kind of a Windows 3 look and feel instead of looking like a Windows 10 application, and the interface is probably one an engineer would love. The settings and options offered can be overwhelming. The ViewScan Bible by Sasha Steinhoff can help. It is available in paperback or as a Kindle ebook. Steinhoff's Scanning Negatives and Slides, Digitizing Your Photographic Archives is also helpful, also available as a Kindle book or a paperback. I have the print versions, but I also bought the Kindle version so that the books will always be available right there on the computer. When it comes to competitors, there's really only one, and that's the expensive Silverfast, which requires the manufacturer's driver, that meant it wouldn't work for me, even though I own a copy of it for the Epson Perfection 3200. And when I buy another scanner, I would need to buy another copy of Silverfast designed for that scanner. Or I can just use my existing copy of ViewScan on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. As it turns out, that is not a difficult decision. ViewScan is the kind of application that frightens venture capitalists. After all, every scanner comes with its own software, so why would somebody want to spend another 40 or $100 to buy third-party software, and then another 50 to to $100 to obtain the documentation? That's an easy question, and it has an easy answer. Simply, ViewScan works better than the software that came with the scanner, even if that software still works with your current hardware or operating system. So the bottom line for ViewScan is five cats. Anybody who needs to use a scanner should have a copy of ViewScan. No matter who manufactured the scanner that's attached to your computer or what you want to scan, ViewScan is the right choice. It supports every scanner imaginable and offers features the scanner manufacturer's software probably doesn't. Add the cross-platform capabilities and upgrades forever on the professional plan, and you have what I consider to be an unbeatable combination. You'll find additional details on the ViewScan website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, I received an email a couple of days ago from Alyssa, registrar at center-cac.com. Alyssa told me that some company I've never heard of in China wants to register TechBiter as a domain name. Alyssa said I should let her know whether this company is your distributor or business partner in China or not. Well, I deleted the message. And if you receive a similar message, that's exactly what you should do. Now, this is not an unusual scam. It's also not a new scam. You probably won't be surprised to learn that Alyssa really doesn't have my best interests in mind. 
It's not an attempt to gain access to any of my accounts or any of my information, but it is an attempt to get me to pay for a wildly overpriced domain registration in China. Unfortunately, the scam still works, and scammers keep sending out these fake warnings. If you respond in any way whatsoever, the scammer will try to sell you registrations for dozens of top-level domains at inflated prices. For example, I would probably be offered some or all of these and probably more. TechBiter Asia, 35 bucks a year. TechBiter India, 35 bucks a year. TechBiter.co India for 35 bucks a year. TechBiter.cn for China, $65 a year. TechBiter.com.cn China for another $65 a year. TechBiter.net China, $65 a year. TechBiter.org China, $65 a year. TechBiter TW, that's Taiwan, $65 a year. TechBiter.com Taiwan for another $65 a year. TechBiter.Hong Kong for $65 a year. TechBiter.com Hong Kong for $65 a year. And the brand name registration, of course, TechBiter, $180 per year. Add that up real quick, won't you? That comes to more than $800 a year with absolutely no benefit. So dealing with scams like this is really easy. Just do nothing. That's right. Do nothing. Do not respond in any way. Just delete the message and get on with your day. You might wonder how the Chinese scammers obtained your information. Well, when you register a domain name, it creates an entry in the Whois public internet directory in accordance with the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. That happens as part of the domain name registration process, and anybody can view the directory. If you do business in China, you'll probably want to register domain names with a CN top-level domain. But you don't want to do that with scammers. Your company's international business division will take care of it. So again, just ignore the messages. Shortly before 9 p.m. on the 23rd of August, I was lying in bed reading a novel on an iPad. A message popped up from Google Calendar. You have won an iPhone X from Apple Store, it said. Well, my first thought was not, wow, what a great prize. Instead, it was more along the lines of, oh, now what the is going on? Well, it's obviously a scam because Apple would represent the phone as iPhone with a lowercase i and an uppercase p, not all lowercase except for the X at the end. And then there's that URL. If I've won something from the Apple store, I would expect an apple.com URL, not an fd5.info URL, which is registered to some scammer in Russia. Although I didn't click the link, I did investigate a bit using Windows PowerShell. The site would attempt to set a cookie and then perform a location reload. It wasn't clear to me exactly whether this was an attempt to plant malware or merely to obtain my login credentials for Google, the Apple Store, or both. Google Calendar had events scheduled for Friday and the following five days that would remind me I had won an iPhone. So I deleted them. Now where the did these come from? And how did they end up on my computer in a trusted application? 
What's incredibly clever about this scam is that anyone who uses the Google Calendar is used to receiving reminders from it. There is literally no difference between a legitimate reminder and a reminder for a scam. But how could this happen? Well, it seems that anybody who knows or guesses your email address can send an event notification to you, and Google's default setting allows that event to be placed on your calendar. Does that strike you as an absolutely stupid policy on Google's part? And yes, that was a rhetorical question. There's a relatively easy way to reverse this absolutely stupid Google policy. It involves modifying two settings. On a desktop system, in a browser, click the gear menu to open settings. In general, click the drop-down list for event settings and select No. Then it's also wise to clear the check mark in the view options so that declined events are not displayed. Android and iOS devices are different from the desktop, of course, but at least they seem similar to each other. In Events from Gmail settings, disable the option to Add Events. And in the General Settings area, turn off the option to show declined events. It is important to be vigilant, of course, and that's primarily what kept me from doing anything at all with the message that told me I had won an iPhone. But really, Google, your default settings should be the ones that block nefarious actions such as this, not to allow them. Google's terms of service prohibit the spreading of malicious content, but all too often Google takes action in response to a problem. Why not establish default settings that make the user safer? What a concept! Here's a little good news. You don't need to change any settings to make sure that spare parts is safe. Just jump over to the website where you'll find this week's stories. First, it looks like there's finally been some progress in getting phone companies to cooperate in a way that may eventually eliminate, or at least reduce, unwelcome robocalls. And it has been 20 years since Adobe introduced InDesign. Publishing has changed a lot since then, and InDesign now virtually owns the desktop typesetting and page layout market. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.